Hello and welcome to this GCP short produced in collaboration with Maxis Global Benefits Network. Joining me to discuss taking employee benefits programs to the next level, we have Paul Milkey, Regional Manager West and Midwest US at Maxis, and Brian Yendretzka, Global Benefits Director at Dow Chemical. For the next 20 minutes, Paul and Brian will discuss how we are seeing existing captive EB programs expanding, good practice in executing that growth, and the ultimate objectives and future evolution of these programs. But first, we begin with Brian providing some background on the Dow Chemical Captive, Dorinco Reinsurance Company, and its history in employee benefits. Dow has a captive that we use to reinsure benefits and as well as some property casualty called Dorinco. Uh, that entity has been doing this since 1977. And we actually started writing employee benefits in 1993 for the first time. One thing that I will note is we really didn't move into the multinational captive insurance programs until five years ago. Well, we really started taking off at that stage and trying to get as many of our programs and policies into the captive as possible. Paul, before we get a bit more into some of the technicalities around around these captive programs, how much activity are you seeing among clients who have been using pools but are now looking to make that same transition into a, into a captive program? And are there common challenges and, and best practices that need to be used to, to overcome these? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we've seen historically a lot of our clients that have been sitting in traditional pooling arrangements for managing their employee, you know, their global employee benefit programs. And they'd often start to ask questions and inquire and then maybe more formally explore whether they could start looking at a captive strategy to help finance benefits and have better control uh, quite a bit. But this always didn't turn out into action, right? If the implementation study would take place. We would do a feasibility study and work with, with them. However, it wouldn't turn into anything more. It wouldn't germinate because it was often understood that this program was so difficult and so laborious that getting everybody around the table, you know, the coalition of stakeholders needed to do this was too big and it was too much of a heavy lift. So the wave of that early momentum would quite often just crash against the shore unremarkably. It's only in the last handful of years that we've experienced a really good surge in both interest and action when it comes to employee benefits being reinsured to a captive and becoming more and more popular and common. We at Maxis now help more than 50 multinationals manage their employee benefits via a captive strategy or financing vehicle and think this number is only going to grow over the next number of years, given the interest and where we are in the world right now. And the primary reason for this is control, whether that be the control over policy risk, over benefit design strategy, or even just consistency in benefit delivery. The greatest advantage of using a captive strategy is near full ownership uh, and control over the employee benefits, working in partnership with an employee benefit fronting network like Maxis. Of course, the pandemic itself we're in right now is only helping intensify this trend as everyone looks for more control and certainty in these quite uncertain times. <laughs> the most common challenges with implementing a captive are really similar to that of any global program. The ability to align all the internal stakeholders around the strategy, providing a greater good that comes to the organization as, as far as going down this, this road and this strategy. 
also how the global strategy aligns with the organization's larger business goals and their strategies. What are their desires? All of this commitment to the employee experience really is all aligned with that captive strategy. The, the unique nuance, I would say, with the captive program, however, is setting the proper pricing, the reserving, and the owning of that policy risk. So most of our captive clients work very closely today with a global consultant, helps them through the implementation and the ongoing management of the program. And this is a highly specialized space, right? In the global market, this is the most advanced funding method, governance model, and it requires the proper, I would say, delicate guidance and guide rails, something that a good global consultant and a global benefits network can help with. Brian, you've mentioned, uh, obviously, you do have the captive program in place now just a few years ago. So now that that captive program is in place, how do you assess when and and which countries to add to that captive program as, as it grows? Richard, I think we look at it a little bit differently. We look at it more from the default position of any of the policies that we write um, and that we want and benefits we want to put in place should run through the captive. And then we really look at are there any reasons it shouldn't be in the captive? Examples of this could be if we don't think that we can reinsure it at the same price as the market, or if we don't have a good network, local um, contacts, the country level contacts want to work with. As I said, our default position is that every employee benefit insurance program should be worked through the captive because we see the most savings, we get the most governance on it. But this is really where we're seeing the most savings as well as being able to drive global initiatives through captives by adding as much as we can to it. Yeah, exactly. So you've obviously got a philosophy already in place in terms of, you know, you want to do it if it makes sense from those governance and other other areas. So it's kind of, it's a default position to put it through the captive. Absolutely. And of course, we do work with Dorinco to make sure that the price is right um, as we go through that and come to an agreement as to what is the right price for the company and for Dorinco at local subsidiary level. So, Paul, what, what role does a fronting network or, or global broker as well play in that continued management and potential expansion of, of, a, of an employee benefits program, bearing in mind that you've probably already got some kind of instruction or approach or strategy uh, which has been driven by the client? Yeah, it's really critically important because I, I would ground this all in, the, in one of the most important pieces to the, the whole project and the success thereof is really communication. So that partnership between the multinational, the fronting network, and that global broker is of paramount importance. It's a very powerful alliance as these groups all need to work together, right, to to ensure the client is able to implement and realize their strategy. Communication and program management is just absolutely key. So lots of our captive clients are managing a program that spans multiple continents, you know, potentially dozens of countries all the while managing the program centrally from this headquarters with perhaps some extensions in the regional spaces that are in their organization. So imagine the potential for miscommunication and misunderstanding that could all happen in this very complex, challenged, and, you know, quite often tense environment given, you know, the the world we live in. So it's only through this very close-knit project team that the best programs begin to blossom and achieve the client's goals year after year. So, Brian, you've touched on uh, on some of the kind of the strategy and, and the attitude within within Dow and, and obviously the role Dorinco plays with the captive. But what is the ultimate um, objective of using the captive for employee benefits? Is it a 
profit center? Is it about just achieving cost control and efficiencies? Or is it a governance, a governance play? Or are you looking to achieve all, all three of those elements? All three of those, really, Richard. Um, certainly, when we look at the pricing, we want the captive and the insurance to be a zero-sum game. Um, our end goal isn't to make money from employee benefits for the reinsurance companies, to make sure that we're spending the right amount of money. We also don't want to lose money or have a loss-making model. But this gives us a lot of flexibility in how we set rates. For example, if we're looking at a country where we expect to have a 15, 20% increase in rates, we can stagger that in over time. And with the captive, we have that flexibility, which allows a lot more control over local budgeting. Outside of that, when you start looking at governance, the captive really gives us a much better look at what's happening at the local level. So we've incorporated this into our governance model just to ensure that we are understanding what our employee benefit programs look like on a global scale. And one other benefit um, that we look at is this really does help out some of our tax efficiency to our existing PNC captive. This is unrelated business to that captive, so this then helps us make sure we have enough unrelated business to achieve that tax efficiency that we want. So those are kind of the three main objectives that we were looking at when we started the captive, and we're starting to see that we can also drive some major initiatives by having a captive model in place as well. Brian, I'm curious, you'd certainly Dow has been through quite a bit of change over the last number of years, and that's influencing and redirecting, you know, the strategy. Largely the strategies remain, you know, consistent moving forward. I'm just curious, one of those elements you talked about was the engagement and the governance and the communication. Have you just seen that remarkably improve end to end in this process and getting closer to your regional and local teams towards the goals you've set out? It has in several ways. So one of the first ways it has is we have some strategies in place. As an example, we don't think we should have pre-existing conditions in medical programs anywhere in the world where we offer it. That's one of those things that using the captive, we've been able to remove pre-existing conditions. We also have been able to advance some of our inclusion and diversity initiatives, um, such as making sure that same-sex domestic partners have coverage around the world and are treated the same as any other employee. With the captive, we've been able to very quickly and easily add those to contracts in most of our geographies. The other thing that I would mention in that space is with COVID-19, we were able to quickly work with the captive and our partners, for example, pandemic exclusions for life insurance or medical insurance to make sure that our employees were covered in the event that they did have adverse reactions um, from either their medical or life perspective with COVID-19. One other piece that we saw that is with the savings that we see, and as you're right, we have changed with a lot of corporate structuring, so the captive is not as big as it used to be. But based on the savings we see every year, we're able to implement a global administration system, which will give employees a much better experience as we roll it out and have been rolling it out in interacting with their benefit programs than they had before. So this has really been a bit of a game changer for us outside of the United States so that we can move to one platform for countries and really get employees to engage more with their employee benefits. Yeah, it's really interesting, particularly around those HR goals and initiatives that you talk about uh, there, Brian. Has the captive materially made that easier to do to actually achieve and to put in place specific goals and initiatives, whether it's globally or, or locally targeted? Has that made it a lot easier to do that? It has made it a 
lot easier in two ways. One is we can actually much more quickly identify where we have gaps in those initiatives. But then it also gives us the ability, because ultimately we're the ones taking on that risk, um, have that discussion with Rinko and make sure that we can get those programs and policies in place and make sure those initiatives are driven really very quickly through the organization. So you've talked about kind of some of the things you've already done uh, in recent times with the, with the captive program. Brian, is there a specific long-term plan for the captive's role and employee benefits in the future? And are there other benefit objectives in the pipeline that, that will look to leverage the captive? I think until we find a better way to finance employee benefits, which I'm not aware of any at this stage, um, it will absolutely be part of our long-term plans to have the captive in place. The area that I am particularly interested in in the future is really leveraging the data that we have. So with the captive model, we get a lot more data about our employee benefit programs. And I think this is the area that if we tap, we can really start driving the right programs and policies for employees in any given geography. To me, this is the future of, of where we go with the captive. Brian, just curious, you mentioned you know, long-term strategy and then you, this is not just your HR benefits team long-term strategy, right? But it's also got to align with Dorinko. So I guess I'm curious when you when you think about the partnership that you have with the the captive company, how do you keep those similar goals and those long-term views together and stay really well aligned? Because I could imagine that divert that could diverge, and you could all have different priorities. How, how do you keep that engagement going and, and keep everybody together? Paul, I think like a lot of things, this really is driven by relationships. So we can always find the right price um, for the risk. We have had a lot of support from Dorinko. They understand our objectives. They're fully supportive of our objectives. Um, and we spend a lot of time making sure we have those relationships with the captive. I can't stress that enough that without having that type of relationship with your captive insurer, even though they're the same company, you're not going to be able to drive the initiatives. So when we set out to be a zero-sum game, this was a discussion we had with the captive insurer before we moved models, before we moved from a pooling model. We wanted to make sure that they would support a zero-sum initiative. And they're very supportive of make, of not being, you know, they don't want to be at a loss, but they're supportive of also not necessarily being a profit center with employee benefit programs. So I think, Paul, it really boils down to the relationship that you start with your captive as well as maintain with the captive mature, in our case, Dorinko. So I think we need to give a, a round of applause to Tracy and Drew and to Veronica in this moment for all of their hard work, too. Yeah, they are absolutely critical in all this. Um, I would also say one of the things that we saw having a global broker in place, which has been recent, has led to better results for the captive in general. Uh, not that the Dorinko underwriters aren't great, but they don't necessarily have uh, as much experience in all the different programs that we look at. And a broker certainly helps in that regard. I think it's really interesting, uh, Brian, what, what you the way that you've articulated a lot of that last answer. Because often, when when we have these conversations with captive owners, the 
the risk insurance manager, or it might be someone that works directly for the captive rather than the parent or the insured, is they, they talk about it very much from the captive's perspective of, of it being good for the captive. Whereas what I'm hearing from you, Brian, is obviously you, you work very closely together. There's a very collaborative uh, partnership, which is needed, but you, you talk as, as two very different companies, which is obviously very good governance as well, as you've got to be a partnership rather than just doing the bidding, if you if you say, of, of one or the other. So that's really interesting to hear. And, and I'd love to have, I know Dorinko is a very big captive, a very, very sophisticated captive, probably one of the more sophisticated captives in the US market. And I, I'd, I'd love to have some of the team on to have a wider discussion about that in the future, because it's it's a really, really fascinating model that, that Dow run with, with Dorinko. Um, Paul, just to wrap up, uh, we've, we've talked a lot about the captive EB programs that are growing and expanding. And it does sound as if, of course, that once the captive EB program is in place, there is only one direction of travel. Is that the case? And, and do you only expect uh, kind of existing programs more broadly to expand? Yes, of course. Absolutely. That's our hope, right? This rapid, <laughs> large expansion of the program with Maxis. No, no, all, all kidding aside, you know, that is the ultimate goal of the client and the captive company with the with greater control. This strategy provides the improvements that, you know, can be incrementally seen and or move very, very quickly. So clients are transitioning from this trend, traditional pooling strategy into a captive model, and they ha- have this really good self-reflection or perspective right on the global governance concept that hasn't worked or needs to be improved or what's worked really well to continue. And they know those potential setbacks. They've got a very clear vision, if you will, of how the captive program should perform and, and improve over time. So with all the programs, there's always fits and starts during the implementation and the, and the life of this. So I keep mentioning it, but the key to success from our point of view, from Maxis, is really very close communication and interaction among the interested parties and those around the table. The more this group together approaches the overall implementation and strategy as a partnership toward the client's goal and their strategy, the easier it is to move information between stakeholders and identify possible hurdles that keep you know, the whole thing from either stopping or just being you know, a little bit more uh, stiff. Um, it helps that whole program become more successful. It's a long-term effort for sure, but the beauty of a captive arrangement is that it doesn't end once the program is set up. Once the captive owns the policy risk, the evolution of the client's overall employee benefit offering and strategy to its employees can evolve or it begins to take on a different influence at the country level. So, you know, maybe as Brian's mentioned here, right, he's talked about some of those initiatives, the diversity and inclusion that are all important. So many clients are beginning to look at implementing those different diversity and inclusion influences into their employee benefit strategy. And that's often by removing exclusions. Brian mentioned pre-existing conditions or changing policy terms. And if it's not a part of the initial implementation early on, this becomes one of those next horizons that the captive looks to to accomplish one of those strategies. And again, the program's got to be ring-fenced into the captive in order to have that influence and have that that impact. So maybe that's the second initiative. First is get everybody together, get as much premium and business as you can into the captive. Second is how do we evolve our programs based upon our, our employee promises. Another way to grow is to add more countries, of course, to the captive program. So sometimes the attention in the early days is on the easiest countries or the organic inherent natural alignment with networks 
and maybe those high degree of energy or engagement countries to make a change fall second. So that next step could be to add more complex markets, different entities, large or small, and again, those that require more and extra focus. Or perhaps the next area is really helping HR and the benefit side of things finance a wellness strategy. Very, very important topic and germane to today's environment. So, you know, do we look at a telemedicine offering around the world? Is there some chronic disease condition management programs that the the benefits team would like to look at around the world. You can begin to dig into that with all the healthcare data that a captive arrangement allows and begin to maybe take some strides in financing that from the captive side. So in short, I would say that there's plenty of different ways a captive strategy can evolve over time and change. As the company evolves and identifies new priorities, the captive supports those goals in either usual or sometimes unusual ways. And that's the quintessential role of the captive strategy, to be dynamic and to find ways to support the larger business at the end of the day. I really do think that with the captive strategy in place, it becomes much easier to design and implement benefit programs based on your company's values, not just on what a market is doing. And that's pretty powerful as we diverge a little bit from what is everybody else doing to what do we want to do and then going and doing it. The second thing is that next stage in the journey of looking at the data to really tailor programs, whether that's the benefit programs or well-being programs to the populations that we have is tantalizing for me. That's really, I think, where we can start driving the best results um, for our employees and outcomes in their lives, whether that's a health decision or some other aspect of their lives. One of the hardest things that we have is when we can't come to an agreement on price with Dorinka. So those are the ones where we have the most discussions and takes the longest time to take a decision in a renewal process is when we can't come to that agreement on price with Dorinko, where they look at the risk, where they put it, is too high of an increase for us to pay locally when we have someone who we can fully insure outside of that. So that is the ones that we wring our hands over the most in those discussions. So kind of three different points as, as Paul is wrapping everything up. Um, this one add a little bit of color to. Well, thank you to Paul and Brian for a really informative 20 minutes on the topic of employee benefits and taking these captive programs to the next level. For more information on our two speakers, please do visit the guests page on globalcaptivepodcast.com. And for further details on Maxis Global Benefits Network, check out their friend of the podcast page as well. Links, as ever, will be in the episode description. Stay safe, stay well, and see you next time, captives. Captives.